0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
1: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast. It's Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on mist Apex. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So, let's be friends. There's two bits of Missed Apex admin before we get underway. There are now five spaces left on the mist Apex karting on July 1st at Brighton Karting. And we are now accepting entries for the Missed Apex iRacing Renault 3.5 Cup. That's available on the website now. Karting is July 1st. And the iRacing is July 7th for round one. Email me spanners at mistapex.net if you want to come racing with us. But on to the business of the show. Today I am joined once again by the most experienced F1 journalist in the galaxy. Someone who's attended every F1 race since 1988. He devours team principles like Sonoda devours 11th place finishes. And he only stops the hunt occasionally to come to the shed to bring us inside f1 it's joe saywood how's it going joe
2: very good very good i'm not sure i devoured too many team principles i spat a few out but <laughs> yes <laughs> um mostly i i get on well with them they're all right most of them who's Some your of them.
1: favorite one
2: i couldn't possibly comment but um i mm, no I couldn't possibly comment. That would be, that would be subjective, wouldn't it? Do so.
1: they have as much time for you these days than, say, like the 80s when there was less media and maybe only a couple of TV channels? Now they've, they're doing constant interviews. Do you find it harder to grab them?
2: No, not really. Uh, there is a difference nowadays, and that is that there are, in fact, not more journalists around, not written word journalists. There's more TV. Uh, most of the written word journalists are my favourite kind of bottom feeders who are <laughs> not there at all. So there are actually a very limited number of uh, written journalists working in F1 in the palette these days.
1: It's actually much harder to find reliable news sources now because on social media there's so many of, of what you call bottom feeders and it seems like what they do is they scour German and Italian press for a rumour, get a quote, frame it as breaking news and, and those things go viral, unfortunately.
2: I think the, the word you're looking for, which I use all the time, is extrapolation. They, yeah. they they look at the, they watch the telly, and they as as you mentioned they look around the world for news using Google Translate. They don't fully understand what they're doing, and then they put their own spin on it. And exactly that they put an exclusive, you know, exciting, sensational headline on it, and that's it. Um, and they live off the things, but they have no clue what's going on. So um, you know, at the end of the day, it it's just clutter for everyone to get through. It's not. It is a problem for the for the proper reporters. <laughs> because it gets in the way, but it's not really, because at the end of the day, we've got the good stuff. They nick it, um, although they don't nick much of mine, because I've scared a lot of them away by occasionally making up stories, and they all copy it, and I go, ha-ha, made it up. And um, <laughs> Well,
1: that's not a good uh, advert for your... You, you, you'll tell us if it's made up, right?
2: Well, I was going to say it's once a once read, you know. I, I only did it, the last time I did it was years ago, and what you do is you change a number or something like that in a story, so that ah. if they quote it... <laughs> you know you can say, well where did you get the number from and they went oh, my sources told me well, one no, they didn't because I made that number up
1: oh I see you like know? not like a wholesale like toto wolf likes to eat dolphin meat you don't just do that but no, you know no, you say, just do
2: yeah. a little detail yeah. that they're going to use yeah and like then, he eats and then two dolphins. as a instead. result of that they don't they don't tend to go near me because they're a bit frightened that I might bite their fingers <laughs> Well, so um yeah you know they still they still they still do it but They tend to sort of quote me nowadays so that I'm the one who gets in trouble if it's wrong.
1: And that's why we have your Uncle Joe, a superstar of F1 journalism, worthy of a fantastic and exciting intro with fireworks and everything and jet flyovers. And Mike, in our live chat, would like to know, did you enjoy the Miami Grand Prix driver introductions and associated razzmatazz?
2: Well, to be honest, I didn't see them because they all took place in front of the grid. And so the whole grid was behind this big wall. And all I could hear was, was some droning rapper, I think he was, droning on and on and on, which wasn't exciting. That was
1: LL, awfully exciting. LL Cool J, Joe. Come on.
2: I don't, I don't care who he was, but he was just droning on and on and nobody was paying much attention. And the drivers didn't seem very excited. And I don't get it, but if that's what the Americans want, that's what the Americans can have. You know, um, it's probably better than the last time when we had we had the very strange man in Texas sort of going, and here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the most incredible guy from
1: yeah,
2: Boston Flush, Illinois. You know, this kind of rubbish. Um, but if that's what they want, fair enough. I don't care. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what happens off track. It matters what happens on track. So, hmm. you know, you can you can have dancing girls and fireworks if you, sorry, dancing people and fireworks well if you done, like. Well
1: done, Joe. Honestly, but well um.
2: Done. Well, they had dancing girls in Texas, which I didn't really understand, but I suppose, uh, not Texas, What's well, called Miami. But I don't, you know, apparently that's acceptable again now in uh, in North America. I don't know. Um, I'm sure at Monaco we'll have, we'll have um, a mixture of men, women, children, and animals, probably.
1: Just have beautiful people, like the movies,
0: I Yeah, suppose. well,
2: Monaco is not as beautiful as you think, you know. It's not Isn't it? necessarily full of beautiful people. It might be full of a few plastic people. Um You know, because a lot of these beautiful people have to use plastic to stay beautiful, or at least they think they're staying beautiful. But in fact, they're looking like nasty versions of themselves. Um, (laughs) Plastic surgery is horrid. Don't do it out there. All those people thinking of plastic surgery, don't do it. Natural things are better.
1: Next time uh, Martin Brundle can't do the grid walk, you should volunteer, to, I think, to (laughs) take his place. I think it would be a very different vibe. Uh, Right? It
2: would be a different vibe. I would go up and say, oh, my God, that's horrible cosmetic surgery you've got there. You know, that kind of thing. How you the, the papers?
1: You could do what you want as long as what happens on the track is is good and that's what's important. It hasn't been great. What's on track at the moment? Uh, we, we're looking at Immanuel, well, that's is... a
2: matter of opinion, isn't it? You ah, see, because
1: there we go. I I would dispute that. In as okay, Baku was dull. I accept
2: it happens occasionally that you get a dull race. Not usually in Baku. Weirdly, I don't think Miami was dull, but I fully understand why people who watch it on telly don't see the full race. They only see the bit the telly wants to show you, which is what going to the races and being a spectator, and particularly what I do, which is lap charting, there's always something exciting. And there's a lot more things happening than you actually think, because the T V only shows you one particular section of it. So, you know, I, I can see why it would get dull and um but I know I don't feel I don't feel races are that dull at all. So I know every after every supposed dull race there's always a, a period of when nobody's got anything to say, so they have a quick post-mortem about, oh, we need more overtaking, the usual routine. Um, everything is based on what happened yesterday. So you know, next week, if we have a great race, the whole overtaking issue will be forgotten. Then we'll go to Monaco and everyone will go, will never get any overtaking in Monaco.
1: It is rubbish, no. Monaco, though, isn't it, Joe? Come on, you could no. It's that.
2: No, it's not rubbish. Monaco is what it is. Ooh. It is a fantastic event. You have to go and see these raving lunatics driving their very fast cars through tiny little streets. And it is like um, riding a bicycle around an apartment or threading the needle through all the every cliche you've ever heard is true because it's start raving bonkers. But, okay, do you want them to overtake as well? No, can't have that. So qualifying is really exciting and the race is generally done unless it rains. But, you know, it's Monaco and Monaco is part of Formula One. It's the way it is. You know, it's a bit if if you if you turn it around the other way you can you can have any number of overtakes in a nascar race but it, when all is said and done you know they'll they'll throw a yellow at the right moment so they can have a rush to the finish and it's all fake you know as well as i do it's fake but it is the way it is we don't do that not often anyway
1: yeah <laughs> red flags I, i'm curious to see next time that there's an incident in the last few laps i'm i'm really really curious to see whether they are pushing this red flag two lap sprint race concept over finishing under a safety car
2: they of course they are because all the teams as we've been over this before i'm sure all the teams don't want to finish under yellow flags which is quite correct i agree with that but you know i also believe that we shouldn't have red flags unless we need because if you have too many red flags you end up with australia's which was which was rather ruined by all those red flags so you know, somewhere along the line there has to be there's there's also you've got to bear in mind as well that we had the incidents in Suzuka last year, uh, where where the race control got a bit frightened by um stuff happening on the track, and so they tend to throw a red flag at every opportunity at the moment because they they're not very relaxed about it. Um because it was you know, that was downright dangerous. I'm not saying it was race control's fault that there was a oh, truck yes, there was, driving around there? It in there? the rain. Yeah. but it did have an impact on their thinking. so this year we've just seen a lot of red flags, and I think they need to relax a bit and and this is one of the things that uh, when you have new people in new jobs or new people in jobs and other people who are new looking in and and deciding what's right and what's wrong, they tend to be a bit cautious, whereas Charlie Whiting had been around forever and was you know was willing to let things run um and also that made for a better show because he understood a little bit more about things. Now, at the moment, we're just going through this red flag phase, which is very tiresome, I have to say. Yeah, particularly in practice and qualifying, when every single time anybody goes off, even if it's you know not very important as a red flag. So, um, generally speaking, though, people uh, they don't throw red flags for very silly incidents as long as the car's moving again. Um, but. You know, they do have, I think there's too many red flags at the moment, but I think it's just a phase we're going through.
1: Before we go to some listener questions, just one on overcautious race control. Obviously, looking at the weather forecast uh, for Imola, it's showing up on BBC at the moment as a 60% chance of of rain, thundery showers. And so what we've noticed, though, in previous years is instead of going, oh, yay, there's going to be, you know, some action in the wet, It's tended to be things like Spa and and Monaco a couple of years ago, where they seem increasingly reluctant to get going. And it seems like they won't start a race on full wets.
2: Well, there's a reason for that. And it's got nothing to do with tyres. It's to do with aquaplaning. There's a certain level of rain that is reached. And when you reach that level of rain, the cars just go out of control. It's just the way they are. And it's to do with the the height they run above the ground, etc., etc., etc. So um And aquaplaning, you just you know you can't really afford to have that because people just go flying off everywhere mm. because racing drivers being lunatics. Um, can't tell them just don't don't lift off. You know they just drive on until the world says, "Wait, there's a law called physics." And bang, you know, um which is why the racing drivers probably because otherwise if you know if you had cautious folk, they wouldn't be very interesting to watch, would they? So um generally speaking, the inability to go racing is not about tires. As we saw in Suzuka when they restarted there um, after all the incidents, it was extremely wet, and they were still going for it. And this is when you saw the drivers at their best. So um, it's just to do with aquaplaning, that's all. And it's a, it's a call that the race director will generally make based on what he hears from the drivers as well. There's feedback all the time. So, hmm. um, you know, they, they are are they more cautious, the racing drivers of today? probably a little bit in keeping with the rest of the world you know nobody can allow no no one's allowed to you know, voluntarily hurt themselves anymore um you know you're not allowed to be a loony
1: i think they do probably need a little bit of protecting from themselves and like we've noticed the trend with with race control where it, things that used to just be double waved yellows now i guess because they're really after every second we get this kind of pattern where it's double waved yellows Safety car red, and it seems to really happen in that kind of order now, where they're like, okay, give ourselves just enough time to assess the situation, and then. But that's
2: also that that's also based exactly on what you just said. It's based on reports coming in. So if somebody's hit the barrier and the barrier is needing repair, that's a red flag. If there is, uh, like Alexander Albon in Australia, there was such a lot of junk on the track after he'd gone off sand, stones, whatever. That was too much for a few brushes. So that was beyond a safety car. Hence, we had the red flag, which allowed a machine to come around with rotating bushes, brushes, whatever they're called, um, and sweep everything up. So, you know, that's probably more efficient than trying to get a bunch of guys doing it with a safety car going around. Because every time the safety car gets within 500 meters coming towards them, they have to rush off the track. Um, So in the end, it was probably quicker to have a safety car and restart. Um th- teams are not particularly keen on having restarts, particularly standing ones 'cause you know those the are moments of of higher risk madness. for everybody. It's not madness, it's just um a way of doing it, but it's better than rolling starts, which basically achieve nothing at all so um because you know, a rolling start nobody or rarely does anybody actually um goes into a rolling start um and positions change unless you have a little bit of d r s oh yeah, you're not allowed d r. s with a safety car right, so
1: Well, you can have a bit of chaos, if you remember when uh, Bottas realised he was going to get out-dragged somewhere. I can't remember where, I think it might have been Hongara Ring, but he realised he was going to get out-dragged if he went out of the last corner. So he slowed down all the way to the start-finish line, and the cars behind just didn't realise, and there was about four or five cars hit each other you know, quite slowly underneath the safety car.
2: We saw something like that going on, and they didn't hit each other so much. We saw that going on in, in Melbourne at one point and we saw a very slow restart in in baku i think maybe it was in the formula two race but there was certainly one where i mean they literally crawled to the line and then because again if you're the fast if you're the front guy and you've got that much ability to strip the stri- slip stream, um you're going to lose it's a bit like the old days um slip at, at Reims or monza or well, you didn't want to be first going into the last corner yeah. because you would not win the race. So they'd all hang back. You'd have these sort of <laughs> piles of cars at the last corner waiting for somebody to go for it, and everyone else would immediately leap behind them and out-drag them to the line. No, so I... it's just, it, it, it's a you know, people complain about DRS, but it's not very different to flip streaming. It's just the physics is, is man-made as opposed to physics being physics.
1: Uh, a defender of DRS.
2: I'm not. I'm not defending DRS. I'm just saying it's not. It's not the great evil that people make it out to be. It's a very clever solution to create slipstreaming when there isn't slipstreaming. There's nothing wrong with
1: that. Maybe it's a. I think if people framed it how you framed it, because I don't think many people talk about it in those terms. Of slipstreaming happens anyway. DRS exaggerates that. What they should call it the slip. Streaming. I don't think it
2: exaggerates it. What mm-hmm. it does is it creates it when it's not necessarily there. Because you've got you know, the aero disruption that oh, used see. to be the problem. Yeah. That, you know, it gets rid of aero disruption to some extent. So I, I honestly don't see a problem with it. I, I just think you know there have always been slipstreaming races and battles and tracks. And all this is is a way of making that happen um, when it wouldn't normally be able to happen. I don't think it's a bad thing at all.
1: So it was a rant I was having to our uh, Chris Stevens actually this morning, and I said everything that everyone complains about in Formula One is to do with aero. So you know the dirty air, having to use DRS, not being able to to follow, and the only advantage is is lap time. And then a disadvantage of more aero is the tracks are event, uh, are effectively you know the corners are straightened out. Everything becomes quote unquote easier. Less opportunities for you know long braking zones to overtake. All of this would be solved by like just ripping off the front and back wings, but it's never going to happen. But all the things people complain mm. about are because of these big front wings and big rear wings.
2: I mean, it's just a bit—it's science, really. At the end of the day, it's the fault of science. You can't S- blame curse you, science aerodynamicists. The other night, by accident, actually, because there was something really. Oh, that's right—the Eurovision Song Contest was on, and it was so awful. So
1: good, it was so good.
2: It was so awful cha, cha, that I changed cha, channels cha, and, and cha, I cha. and I chanced upon the IndyCar race from Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and uh. it was duller than toast. Mm-hmm. I've got to tell you, they've got push-to-pass buttons. Now, I'm not a big fan of push-to-pass buttons because what's the point? People say it's the same as slipstreaming, da-di-da-di-da. Yeah, maybe it is, but, you know, somebody goes past one lap, the other bloke goes past the other lap, and if you don't have enough bits and bobs you can't do it the next time around. But it was really not very interesting. And they had so many pit stops because their cars won't go very far and all that sort of fuel they have to burn. And they have to change the tyres all the time. And I just got bored watching it. And I'm thinking, I should be getting excited because everyone gets excited about indie car racing yeah, and I'm not. Yeah. And it was not. it's not necessarily their fault. I mean, it's a one-make championship um two manufacturers with some different aero but at the end of the day you know they kind of finished where they started if you like except if they made bad mistakes and it wasn't that good to be honest so i'd much rather have formula one um because at least it kind of feels less artificial if you like maybe that was just because it was indianapolis motor speedway road course um hmm. i don't know i've probably upset a load of people now
1: so yeah email joe at internet .com. No, he's at Joe Saywood on Twitter. Do you, I, I'm assuming you don't have your DMs open on Twitter. That would be a disaster um, for you, wouldn't it?
2: I think I do, actually, yeah. I, don't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to turn them off, to be honest. Sp- I get
1: messages
2: occasionally, so I must have them turned on, mustn't
1: I? Go spam Joe uh, at Joe Saywood on Twitter. And and for the record, Finland were robbed. That was a jury stitch up.
2: What was was Valtteri Bottas singing or something?
1: Eurovision. On to listener questions. Oh, he would have been representing Australia these days, wouldn't he? With his mullet.
2: (laughs) And what is Australia doing in the Eurovision? Never mind. Never mind.
1: No, let's go to the listener questions (laughs) because Eurovision—that could be a whole new podcast. Okay, Uh, this is uh, this is a a nice personal one from Adam S, who just asks Joe, "What track do you enjoy working at the most, and which one do you enjoy working at the least?" It's a nice question.
2: Oh, that's actually a very good question. Um. The least favourite is possibly Monaco, because it's See? just difficult. Told you. All right, yeah, it's difficult. The Marshals are. Um, can I use the word? No, better not. Anyway, the, one, the word that begins with D and <laughs> right. ends in head.
1: We um we say turnips around here, Joe.
2: Oh, turnips, do they? Well, the, the Marshals are turnips, um, and they've got this arrogant complex that the Automobile Club of Monaco has um, about how they know how to run races and nobody else in the world does, which is utterly absurd is they obviously haven't been around the world enough to see that they are ancient history these days and the way they organize things i think formula one is beginning to kick them into some kind of shape at the moment um so they learn that they're not the world's greatest motor race um but it's still they've still got a long way to go Uh, in terms of my favorite ones um 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 what's my favorite one
1: Turnip, I don't know. There's lots, there's lots of
2: nice, easy ones uh, that I enjoy doing. Um, basically, anywhere, anywhere that's got easy access to the paddock. If they put you in a tent on the wrong side of the racetrack, oh, hang on a minute. That's what we're going to do in Imola next week. Um, <laughs> given that also muddy car park after last year's sort of Passchendaele version, um, but anywhere that it's the access is difficult or where things are split up, I hate that. Where you have You have uh, teams spread into two or three different places, so you can never find the people you're looking for. That's annoying. Um, But otherwise, it's just wander into the paddock, have a nice time. It would be nice to see racetracks. Um, Some of the circuits have got this mad belief that journalists don't need to see what's happening on the racetrack. Um, So what's the point of us being there at all is my response to that, Um, obviously to talk to people. But... It, it always helps to be able to see the racetrack because you can be amazed by it. Look at those cars. They go jolly fast, don't they?
1: Mm. Yeah. And, after... and look, that one
2: has that one's just crashed into the front of the Maserati building or whatever it is. Um, Is it oh, it's Bugatti they put at the final corner in Monaco this year? There's a new thing. It, when you go to Raskas, you'll see a great big new Bugatti building there. To oh, look very well, flash compared to the old ship Chandlers that used to be there for. Well, years. I won't
1: because I'll be in a shed as usual, Joe. Sorry, I'm not you going can to be. watch
2: from you can watch from TV. You know, there's that black box thing. You know what I mean,
1: well, there we go. I didn't thank you, Adam. That's a great question. I did not expect that that would lead to Joe agreeing with me that Monaco's rubbish. Finally, after all these years, Jared asks, "What's wrong with McLaren this year, Uncle Joe? If you were CEO of McLaren, what would you do to fix it?" <laughs>
2: I was CEO of McLaren, I would probably load a pistol. Um, no, that's, that's, un- <laughs> that's unkind, isn't it? A, li- um, a little.
1: Joe uh, what Internet. would I
2: do? What would I do? Well, first thing I'd do is I'd I change the technical staff a little bit um, because obviously there's a problem with the car. It's not as good as the others. and They've sort of done that already, um, but it's very hard to get new people and it's very hard to get new people in a hurry and it's very hard to get new people... If your team is not showing much in the way of potential. So um you know, this is this is one of the problems. It's one of the problems that a lot of teams have. Ferrari has the same problem. Who the hell wants to go to Italy and, and walk into a a, a, uh, a crossfire, which is what's going on at the moment. So they're struggling to find people. Um and if you're if you want the best people, you've got to have the best environment for which them for for in which they can work. And mm. uh, that's a problem. So I mean, Woking's very nice, and the quality of the the stuff they've got down there is good. Um, But it does seem to be a little bit, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Disjointed at the moment. I think it needs a bit of parity as to, I mean, I quite like the look uh, look of um, Stella. Um, I don't know him very well, but, you know, he seems to be getting the hang of some of the things that need to be done. But, of course, it just takes time. Mm. And that's, you know, this is the same thing. I'm sure we'll get around to Alpine at some point. It's the same thing at Alpine, you know, you've just got to have time. And if you're the boss or the CEO of Alpine, Mr. Laurent Rossi, has arrived thinking that things will change overnight if he shouts at people, that's possibly not the right approach. But, you know, maybe it'll work.
1: Can I, I ask it, here, but... uh, Laurent Rossi, he was yes. originally, He wasn't he sort of in line to do the team principal job at some point? And, and then no,
2: no, not really.
1: Or did he want to no. do it?
2: No, he's the CEO. He's got far too many things yeah. to worry about to be a full-time team principal, which is why he hired Otmar. Um, and now Otmar hasn't um, achieved the start to the season that they want to see. And so he's, he's basically telling Otmar that the team's rubbish, which is not necessarily the right way to do it. But, you know, who am I to lecture the... CEO of Alpine, who has other things to worry about. He's He's got a, a bit of a um, challenge on his hands. I don't know if you um, know the Alpine plan. They produce 3,500 cars a year, yeah. and the project is to produce 150,000 cars a year by 2030. So he's got a lot of work to do. He's also got to find people to buy all these cars that he's going to produce. Um, personally, I think it's madness. Um, but, you know, they've done a very good deal now with uh, AutoNation in America, which is a second-hand car dealership with 300 outlets. And they will basically sell Alpine. So he doesn't need to be in league with another manufacturer or open a whole bunch of dealerships because he's got AutoNation going to do it for him.
1: I was just looking. I've so never he, seen you know, him. He's
2: a clever guy. Yeah, he's a very clever guy, but he doesn't necessarily know the intricate ways of running things in Formula One.
1: It was nice and public, though, isn't it? That's always a bit of a red flag. You know, real public dressing down.
2: Yeah, but it's a bit like it's a bit like um, me wandering into, uh, I don't know, an automobile show and saying, well, you're not doing that right, are you? You know, I have absolutely no qualification to do that. Um, I could do it if I wanted to. I could write about, I went to this car show and all the cars were lined up wrongly. It doesn't make any sense. And What are these half-naked ladies doing? We don't do them anymore, do we? You know, things like that. It is, you know, it's best to, to do what you're good at. And to try and do things you're not good at, but think you might be good at, is not necessarily a good idea.
1: I used to have an editorial policy on this podcast. I just, i will give up. Between you and Christian Pedersen, there's no point. It's just too much work. Right. Let's let's move on. Um, Let's move on a little bit, because uh, I got distracted there looking up Alpine road cars, because I don't think I've ever seen one. They look a bit weird. No, they're so.
2: beautiful. Beautiful things, usually in blue. Yeah. And they look like Al- Alpines from the 1970s.
1: I prefer a And Porsche if you want the full
2: one. details, if you want the full details they wouldn't exist were it not for Caterham cars having put some money up to convince Renault to to go in league and then Caterham pulled out and so Renault kept the project.
1: Fascinating. Well, there you go. Check out a Renault or would you prefer a Porsche? As Stuart Neal asks, have Porsche just given up on F1 now? Yes. Oh, there you go. Not normally well, that quick. They,
2: they might try and, they might do something in the background with somebody. But I doubt it because they haven't got the wherewithal to do it at the moment, and they they're behind the the game because Audi got there first, even if they are the sister company. There's a weird there's a weird um, relationship between Audi and Porsche that nobody can really understand. They're supposed to be sister brands, but they hate each other with a passion and would kill one another um, easily enough. So, no, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Having said that, you know, if somebody came to them with a pile of money, um, and they had time to do it they might do something but they're a little bit behind the game now because they they haven't got the time
1: and they were just looking to to sort of take over and co-opt an existing entity weren't they not no one's seriously thinking about starting an f1 team from scratch anymore what do you mean like would someone come in and go manufacturer yeah someone's going to come in and go right i'm going to build my factory cadillac
2: cadillac by the look of it with andretti obviously um you know there, there there's the thing that people in Formula One don't understand about the car world is that car manufacturers have got lots more technology than the average Formula One team does. Formula One teams think we've got the best of this, we've got the best of that. But you know, entire car dynamic simulation and things like that. Formula One teams, if there are any, it's very rare. Whereas car manufacturers got loads of them and um simulation technologies and all the rest of it. They've got lots of capability. They've got hundreds of people working in battery development, whereas Formula One teams might have four or five. You know, so there's there's a whole lot of stuff that can be um, can be uh, fed into Formula One from manufacturers. The, the problem comes when a manufacturer thinks they know how to do Formula One, because inevitably they don't, and they make a mess of it because they they think they have a um, a sense of superiority because they're big companies and they're very successful usually, but they don't know how to do Formula One. And they make they all make the same mistakes and you hear it and you laugh and you go, oh, go, always wait for the next one. And somebody else will come in and do the same thing again. Um, thus far, I have to say Cadillac is not making noises like that, but um, I think they will eventually come in with their own engine. I think they have to in order for Andretti to get an entry.
1: I, I wonder if um, if F one is is guilty of that in general. Like you said, there, uh, of assuming that because it's a glamorous sport and the fastest you know track in, uh, you know track car in the in the in the world around uh, around uh, cor- corners and bends that they have the highest skill level of of engineering and technology. And that there's actually a lot of uh, you know think parts of F one where they're borrowing technology from other fields. And actually, it's quite a limited pool of people. Yes, they're the specialists, but there's there 's not actually that kind of wealth of people that know and understand f one enough to drive it forward and, and let it catch up with say things like you know defense or automotive
2: well i i'm not sure I agree with that what happens is that they they suck in very very good people from lots of different worlds including defense and they 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 take the ideas often out of aviation and they apply them to cars and so within the very narrow um uh, restrictions that there are within Formula One, they are the best people, probably. But, you know, if you put a Formula One person into a big car company and told them to fix a problem, they probably wouldn't be the right people to do it. But vice versa, if you put a CEO of an automotive company into a Formula One situation, they definitely wouldn't know how to do it because we've seen it done too many times. So, you know, I don't think you should underestimate what Formula One does and its ability to innovate. Um, but I do think. That, um, that car companies need to be very careful that they don't screw up.
1: All right, well, let's stick with, um, with teams for a bit. I didn't think that question would get as much mileage as that. Stuart, thank you very much. Always nice to have a, a glimpse into you know, the relationship that F1 has within the wider engineering, economic and political world. It can't, it can't be a bubble always. Uh, now, without suggesting that anyone do anything bad to themselves, Uncle Joe, uh, the next question is, how is James Vowles doing?
2: James Vowles is doing very well. Ah,
1: he seems if nice. you look
2: at the, um, he's a jolly sensible chap. He, I mean, he's perfectly qualified to be a team principal, and he, he seems to be doing all the right things. He's not shouting at people. He's not, um, he's not making wild claims. Um, to be fair, Alex Albon and Logan Sargent are doing far better than they were expected to do, um, certainly in qualifying. You know, we've, mm. we've seen Williams' in Q3, for goodness sake. You know, think about that for a minute. It's quite remarkable. <laughs> yeah, you're looking it up, aren't you, to make sure I'm right?
1: Uh, I was actually, but, um, you know, what? I was actually looking yeah. up the quote from James Vowles recently, where he sort of said that Logan Sargent might need to kind of tighten up a, li- a little bit. So it shows you that the standards are high. Because I didn't think Sergeant had done that badly. He looked really racy on occasion, but I think no, he didn't been... do
2: a bad he didn't do a bad mm. job at all this year. But he had one bad, Mistakes, he had a very bad race yeah. in
1: Miami. Um,
2: but that doesn't mean, you know, you're judging everybody on the last phrase that everyone's saying, Nick (laughs) DeVries, oh, he's had a couple of bad races. Therefore he's in the skip and they're going to put Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel Ricciardo had a whole season of bad races. Why would they put him back in there? You know, there's, there's a, there is this tendency and it's driven by the, the, the loonies on the web of reacting to everything that happened last weekend and then forgetting it five days later. So, you know, I don't think we're seeing – what we're seeing at Williams is a a slow process of identifying the people they want and then going out to get them. Now, we will start to see that happening um, in the months ahead. You'd want to be seeing somebody um, picked to be um, the new technical director sometime soon. Um, But having said that, you know, if you're looking for the right person, not necessarily – the right person by a certain date um you know you've got different options available to you so it might be best to say well actually we're looking for a technical director who will make sure we're all right in 27 mm. um as opposed to caring too much about 24 so there's you know there's lots of elements to it but it's because they're not going to fix the problem in 24 they're not going to make williams a winner again in 24 they might be able to do it from 27 onwards and that's what that's the thinking that you have to have. And this is something that a lot of people don't understand, which is you can't just turn a team around in ten minutes. Now, if you're Lawrence Stroll and you have all the money in the world, you can turn it around in three years. Um, but he is not he's still not winning, is he? And he's not going to win this year, even with Fernando Alonso. Certainly there's only one car team, but um you know, with Fernando Alonso, who finishes every race thirty seconds behind, Everyone goes, isn't he fantastic? He's finished third 27 times. Yeah, he has finished third 27 times, but it's not going to win unless the two Red Bulls collide with each other, is he? So mm. and even then it's not guaranteed because Ferrari might even manage to get a car to the finishing line or Mercedes will be there. Or perhaps one day Alpine will be in the game too. So, you know, the, the, the fact is that it takes a long time. It takes an awful lot of money and it takes a, a lot of commitment and finding the right people. And they're all trying to do that. And that's the hard bit.
1: Well, look, people don't know this, and I know you don't really like to talk about it. But you and um, Lawrence Stroll, you often, you know, you go to a a tequila bar in Monaco together. It's basically their Friday night thing. I'm not going to pry any further than that, Joe. But I know you have the inside (laughs) scoop. Aston Martin. No, I don't. don't, Uh, I'm
2: not interested. I am not one bit interested in in um, anything that Lawrence Stroll says. To be honest, Um, he's just there. He owns the team. It's his money. He's burning. That's his problem. But in terms of, would I trust anything he said?
1: Not really, no. Because, yeah, and you have to, though, when you've got someone like Lance no, Stroll in there.
2: You what, can what? talk to people around who know what really is going on. Oh, no, I meant... People I, who just spout I, I things. Mean,
1: I meant Lawrence Stroll. I don't think he's going to come out in there and go, yes, my son, he's being shown up by Fernando, and we're going to have to do something about that. You might find that Fernando's car starts having issues... But how... That was spot on. That was better than I expected it was going to be. Not practised at all. Uh, But he, at some point...
2: Fernando is being utterly ridiculous at the moment, (laughs) which is fine. Good for him for trying, at least. He's being totally obsequious and and saying, you know, things like, oh, super overtake there by by Lance. I saw it on the TV when I was driving around, you know, which makes him look very cool because he can watch TV while driving Grand Prix. And it makes Lance sound great. And the other day he said Lance is a world champion material. Well, really? Um, Can I have some of what he's been smoking, please? You know, it's not true. He's saying that because he wants to keep his drive. And if he says bad things about his teammate, like my teammate is not good enough and it's holding the team back. If he says that, Lawrence is not going to be a happy bunny, is he? So at the end of the day, Aston Martin racing is a uh, a vanity project, isn't it? One way or the other, because I, I have no idea why they took on the Aston Martin Road car company because it's not t-shirts. It's not selling fashion. Um, it's it's a it's a heavy industry and it's going to cost them a fortune. And it's always been an unsuccessful car company. And why is it going to change now just because some fashion magnates got hold of it? I don't get it. And why has he got hold of it so that his son can have a Formula One team because he can't actually get a drive elsewhere? Let's be brutally honest about this. Even with all the money they've got, he you know he had. He's in year what is it six or seven yeah. of Formula One now?
1: Yes, yeah, fair bit.
2: He's, he's had every chance. Everybody else gets two years. Even Mick Schumacher got two years, and then got slung out because he wasn't good enough. But Lance just, well, yeah. So, what does that tell you? It's a problem because it does hold back a racing team. Wow. And another thing.
1: And another. <laughs> and another thing. You clouds. <laughs> why? Why? Why do you taunt me, clouds? I think like right, my son. He doesn't. He's not very good at like remembering to drink water. So we have various alarms on his watch. So it'll come up and it'll go water. I'm sure Alonso has one of those. Like mid race, is praise stroll, give stroll advice just to because by 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 clockwork he seems to do it once or twice during a Grand Prix. but there we Yeah, go. but it, it's
2: just it, it is. I suppose it's a clever way of staying in with the boss. But ultimately, when push comes to shove, and they're going into a corner side by side, unlikely though that may be, but Alonso is Alonso. He's deep down an animal, and he is a, somebody who wants to win. And is he going to back off for the boss's boy? Well, we'll see. I hope not, because, you know, he's no longer the animal if he backs off for the boss's boy. He's just a devious um, person who is going to let Lance get ahead once. I mean, Lance is just not there. Sorry.
1: I'm with He's some... quick
2: over one lap. He's quick over one lap. I'll give him that.
1: All right. Yep. That's... Joe said that, not me. Getting DM Joe. Right. DM Joe. We'll get on with some more listener questions, Joe, but I just wanted to make sure people don't miss out on the opportunity to catch your blogs. The Green Notebook is a, a fantastic, almost like travel log of you going around the world. And, of course, you have the GP Plus magazine. Which is a PDF. Hang on, hang on, hang on.
2: The Green Notebook is more than a travelogue. It's, it's a, a travelogue travel with all the, really, all the really good stuff in it.
1: No, it's about what and crisps where, you have at the airport. No,
2: no, but well, that's also true. It's about travelling the world, but it's also about what's really happening in Formula One. It's a news column. It's disguised as a travelogue.
1: I like the bit but, where are like, oh, I had to wait for eight hours and I had some crisps. That's my favourite bit yeah, of that.
2: Yeah, well, that's, that's part of the game, isn't it? That's <laughs> it what we do, good. you know? I'm just describing life as on the Formula One scene because lots of people would like to do it.
1: If I may give you a compliment, right? A lot of the, the journalism we get now it, it it stops you in the street. Basically, it's like a street performer. Right? It stops you in the street and says, "Hey, read this, read this," and you go, oh, "I'm angry now." What I would say about that, what I call a travel log, is it's appointment reading. So I go, "Ah, okay." This is when I sit down and I I read that. It's a proper bit of writing rather than Horner slams Marco into a a uh, sewer grate yeah so that i that, I'll go i recommend uh joe's green notebook and uh you and i are hooking up a one which of is your,
2: on joe joe blogs
1: uh, f1 joe Blons, isn't it f1. there we go i uh, just search for for joe blogs f1 and you'll find all his stuff but uh we are trying to find a date after barcelona for one of the virtual live audiences which have been very much enjoyed so look out for that i'll get that out on our social media as soon as we, we've planned that but also uh, check out gp plus magazine which is like a pdf it's on a wax tablet every week on a on a wax tablet you do a race review but it's got loads of other great stuff in there
2: and also there's also the JSBM newsletter where the really good stuff is which is one of those old-fashioned pdfs as well which comes out every monday morning and is all the good scoops it doesn't all go into the green notebook so if you really want to know what's going on in the industry and lots of people lots of the teams read it not just in f1 but also on the other side of the pond and also in Australia, all over the world, people read that one because they want to know what's going to happen.
1: Nice. Let's get on with some listener questions. Oh, where should we go? Oh, because you touched upon Nick De Vries. Paul Johnson is asking, what's your take on Nick De Vries and what has gone wrong with him so far? Why isn't his stellar drives a sta- uh, as a stand-in for an Albon, why hasn't that translated to performance and results this year?
2: Okay, well there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that um Nick DeVries is a lucky chap because the one race where he stepped in for Alex Albon was the one race where the Williams was going to be stellar. And if Albon had driven that car that yeah. weekend, I'm sure he would have done better than Nick DeVries did. But he didn't, because Albon is the unluckiest racing driver in the world. Everything always goes wrong for him. So Nick was lucky. That gave him that propelled him into um the the seat he's got in part helped by the fact also that um alonso messed up the market by um moving off to aston martin opening up a space at alpine for Gasly. so um as a result of that now the other thing that people have missed i think this year is that yuki Tsunoda is doing a hell of a lot better than people think he is and it's because the car's not particularly good he's not showing up um as being as good as he is but he's he's beginning to look like a proper serious reliable talent oh, I hope um, so. which in the past he's had the talent he's had the speed but there have been lots of things wrong with him it's taken him a long time to learn but he is looking very very good now and he's a very solid performer this year if you look at the way mm. things have gone within the restrictions of that car and so i think that nick has has um Arrived in a situation and found that Yuki Tsunoda is not the pushover he thought he was going to be. And Nick, you know, he's got he's he's got a lot of talent, but um, Formula One's more than talent.
1: I'm a Tsunoda fan. I want Tsunoda to to do well. I love his passion. I like his approach to racing, and uh, I I don't mind him on the radio. I don't think he's by far you know the worst person when it comes to team radio. If Raikkonen did much worse, and he was considered like, oh, he's so funny, isn't he, Raikkonen? Screaming for his steering wheel, so I, I feel like he's been unfairly treated in that way. But my here's my fear is that what what if because Sonoda was a step behind Gasly, what if the car isn't as bad as it it looks and it's just Sonoda a, a hasn't hasn't taken a step up and actually De Vries really isn't hitting the ground running either it could be that the car's not that bad and you've got a, a driver pairing that's not sparking. And I hope that's not true. I hope that that car is trash and Sonoda is getting every ounce out of it. But it's hard to tease that apart.
2: Well, I think that the engineers will know the answer to that question because they have data, ah. which shows you how good the car is. And and the I mean, I haven't sat down there and read through all the data, but the impression I get from within the team is that the car oh. is the problem, not the driver's. Interesting. So, mm. um. I think that's probably quite likely because, you know, teams mess up. That's what happened occasionally. Look what? at McLaren. Look at Mercedes. Look at Ferrari come to that. <laughs> in fact, look at everybody apart, <laughs> from, Red <laughs> apart from Red
1: Bull. Uh, they should have just spent more money, Joe. That's the thing. Uh,
2: no, it's what... not about It's not about money. It's It's about <laughs> the ability to use the money in a sensible fashion. Everybody <laughs> says it's all about money. It's not. Look at Toyota, they spent more money than everybody and they were a complete and utter bust. So why was that? The Ford Motor Company, disastrous, Jaguar racing days. Why was that? It's not about money. Okay. It's about using the money.
1: What a quick follow-up on Sonoda. Why has he got, I feel like he's actually got a bit more of a chance than a lot of Red Bull Juniors would have gotten. Under, under a weight of criticism, but they've stuck with him.
2: Why do you think that is? Honda. Oh goodness! Hang on a minute. I got. I
1: got told Honda were out of Formula One, and that's why we needed an engine freeze because it's Red Bull Powertrains, and it's nothing to do with Honda, Joe. So it can't be Honda. Yeah, but it it
2: it is to do with Honda, isn't it? (laughs) It's obviously (laughs) still to do with Honda because that's just the way it is. And he's he's had more time. uh, He's also quick. You got to bear that in mind. You know, he's not he's not a fool. He's quick, but he's flawed. And um, Honda have got. Until 2026, they are involved in Formula One to a lesser or greater extent. So it makes sense. Red Bull has four drives available and they make a horrible job with all their juniors. So, you know, why don't they just uh, use a Honda junior who might be useful? Politically, it's a very sensible thing to do. Mm. Um, And the fact that they have to bring in somebody who's not a Red Bull junior sometimes, quite often actually, is because their program is such rubbish. So, you know, Um, there's far too much pressure placed placed on young drivers in the Red Bull scheme. Um, They are judged every week. You know, they fall in and out of favour. They don't get much support. Marco's right in a way in that drivers shouldn't need too much support, but some of them need some. You can't just hope that everybody is strong enough to take a battering um, when things aren't going right. And nowadays, of course, everyone's so hung up on mental health issues and all those sorts of stuff As they should before. be,
1: Uncle Joe. As I'm, they I'm should be. I'm not
2: suggesting that they should or shouldn't be. What I'm saying is it doesn't help young drivers. Um, you know, the fact is that if you look at the other schemes, there's a lot more support for them. Um, but honestly, how did the world ever survive without all these um, crisis management teams rushing to people's aid? How did we ever do it? How do we get through all this stuff? How do we go through wars? I don't know. You know, without cancelling, how do we do it?
1: Well, that's us cancelled. Good. Well, <laughs> that, that's the last ever inside F1. We're, we're with Uncle Joe. Um, is... I know, but it's a perfectly valid point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, my, I think my my serious answer to that is that things were worse. Things were worse. Yeah, maybe. And, and now we're maybe, trying to Maybe, but them we still
2: got through it, didn't we? So yeah,
1: I don't want to just get through. I want to thrive, not just survive. Okay. Will Very good. F1 in Japan thrive away? Will F1 in Japan thrive if? Sonoda gets promoted to to red bull uh
2: f one in any country thrives if the driver or a driver from that country is successful if we have a driver from the United States of America who is successful f one will thrive more than it is thriving already um if we have a successful driver from South Africa there will be a south african grand Prix there is you know there are very clear elements that make this all um Obvious, really. I mean, if we find, if it's possible to find a woman Formula One driver, we will have a huge bigger audience of ladies. Perfectly reasonable.
1: Well, F1 and, Academy's launched.
2: Yeah, I know, but it's a long, long process. It's not just uh, stick him in a car and see who's good. You've got to find the right people. You've got to nurture them the right way. You've got to give them time. You've got to give them things they haven't got. It, it's really a long time process, and I don't think people realise unless you get a really exceptional person coming along. It's not going to happen overnight. And it's not because nobody wants it to happen. Believe me, everybody in Formula 1 wants to have a female driver in Formula 1 because they realize it's good for the sport. And the sooner we can find one, the better. But you can't find them that easily. And that's the problem. And that's true of engineers right across the board. You know, gradually we're getting more and more. But the qualified, if you if you read people talking about this, they all say the same thing, and I can attest to it, which is, qualified people there aren't enough candidates because they just don't exist at the moment they will in time when they have the right um kind of training programs and and mentoring schemes and all these things you need um but right now we don't but it's not because we don't want it
1: no good oh you got through that
2: without causing any trouble i didn't even even mention i didn't even mention the fact that if you really want to be a female in motorsport don't, don't The best thing to do is to be a TV commentator, really.
1: And, <laughs> and that like... will change uh, over time. And there's been reports that... The, you reckon there'll the, be
2: more men coming in the I future? I
1: think that there has been a lot more uh, women watching Formula One. And I think the the statistics that have been banded about from F1 certainly seem to be reflecting that. So long may that continue. Uh, there's some listener yes, questions, that Joe, that aren't related to any any potentially thorny topics at all. And Maria, a lady... Is in our Slack group, is saying is asking, is the current Mercedes... How
2: presumptuous of you to suggest that? It might be a man called Maria. How do you know?
1: Maria, the human being called Maria, <laughs> is the current Mercedes, mostly an Alison-led concept, presuming its inception was made before James went to the CTO uh, post, hence the switch of roles. Mercedes is, I think, quite transparent generally, but the narrative for this switch feels like it's a bit lacking.
2: Well, I think James answered that one himself the other day by saying it's simplistic... Who suggests that one person makes a difference in a car? It takes an awful lot. of There's a thousand people working there, producing a car, and the fact that the, one person stays or goes isn't necessarily the reason it's successful or not. So, um, yes, he was involved in things. So was you know. So was uh, Mike Elliott. The fact they switched jobs, it's just a different. Um, uh, it's it's just a different way to manage the way people have talents. Um, that are important james's talent is as they've said as the man in the trenches leading the troops and he's very good at that he's a he's a inspirer an inspirational guy whereas mike is perhaps not as inspirational but he's very clever and can think in a very um clear and and intellectual way so you know there are some people who are good at strategy and some people who are good at leadership and i think that's what it's all about and as to the actual impact on the car well you know these are we will see in time if that group of people can produce a better car which i think they probably will
1: i think the transparency is is interesting and and why would they tell us each and every decision as it goes but i got the feeling that the the decision was was really made race one and, and everything since then has just been Going, carrying on as normal while well, in the background they bring bringing this concept in but it seems from Wolf's well, comments
2: Everybody seems to know who made the decision, you know, and, and nobody seems to accept what the team says which is that it was done by an internal process of thinking about what was best for the team. I actually I, 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 you can say I fall for that argument if you like, but I actually believe that's the case because that's how they work and I think that, and, and that's why they've been successful because they are there's no delusion going on. They're going, well, this is failing. Why is it failing? What can we do to make it better? So I don't follow this, um, this sort of cult of personality, if you like, um, in all cases. Mm. You know, Adrian Newey has flaws too, you know. <laughs> He's surrounded by a whole bunch of very good people who, who adapt his inspirational thinking to make it successful. Um, and sometimes maybe the inspirational thinking doesn't come from Adrian Newey. It might come from some of the others too.
1: No, we don't know their names. Uh, they don't matter. They're all called yeah, Derek. Well
2: we do actually, if you want oh, them, but I yes. mean,
1: not... Yeah, shout out to some well, the, of the Red Bull design team.
2: Well the Rob Marshalls of the World, the the Pierre Vaches, the uh I'm trying to remember is Balbo, the aerodynamicist. I think it's Enrico Lorenzo, I can't remember which. I uh, he'll be very upset if he listens to this, which I doubt he does, but you never know. Um th- there's a th- there are strength in depth because they get they get um uh Every so often, the other teams go to Red Bull and nick everybody, they can get their hands on. And then another generation rise to the top, and they get nicked as well. So, you know, it's just the way it is. And Mercedes is a little bit the same, but Mercedes has a slightly different, more inclusive um, sense of unit, which is why they tend to lose fewer people. Because there is a. this is why they've been world champions for so long, because they've held it together. They also have contracts, which are quite complicated to escape from as well if you wanted to but if they don't want you 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 know you can get out quite easily
1: all right well uh, a personal question for me are the upgrades going to work
2: i have no idea that's what you see yes (laughs) well how how am i supposed to guess i don't know you (laughs) talk to
1: people how happy do they seem
2: well to be honest i haven't talked to them about that because um i don't think anybody knows all you can know is whether or not it's an improvement of what you've had before they seem to think that is but is it an improvement when compared to everyone else's improvement? Because Formula One is constantly improving week after week, so we don't know. Let's see. Um, maybe, maybe not.
1: I, I can't say. I think it's basically it's it's a race one car, isn't it? And and whilst everyone's waiting for this magic bullet, it's effectively this is what they wished they would have had in Bahrain if they could go back in time.
2: Might be. Who knows? I mean,
1: I was hoping you it, would. it's
2: easy to well. <laughs> Yeah, but sometimes you can't you can't make it up. You know, you can you can make it up it's easy, you know, you just join the internet clutter and say this is the answer. Um but we don't know the answer quite often and and to say we do is is delusional. So we can guess, maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong.
1: Okay, I'm going to guess then because Joe said I could. I'm going to guess. It's brilliant. Okay, good and we've got time but for but he still
2: probably won't It won't be brilliant enough to make up the 30 seconds of no, they are no, I'd, 30, I'd 30, sort of... 30 seconds a lap 30 seconds a race they are behind Red Bull
1: yeah i'd given up on that but i did sort of get this feeling that Aston Martin is still kind of well alonso is still there in that position i think i said it after the miami review not not by default but there is a gap ahead of them where there should be a ferrari and a mercedes i think the season will be much more interesting if mercedes and ferrari can work their way back into that gap
2: maybe Maybe mm-hmm. the other thing is, remember, I mean, people, we were talking about money and knowing how to use it, but you've also got to have enough money. Now, where, for example, Alpine has, has suffered in the past is they have a much smaller budget than the big guys. So even if they know how to use it, um, yeah, you might say they've been using it very effectively to be where they've been in the past, but they are, you know, it's a, it's a very small budget, which is why they're selling a percentage of the team to get more money in so that they can invest in things they need.
1: Excellent. Joe, I actually do, like with all my shows, stick to our strict hour time limit. So I think we've got just enough time for two things. One, Rob Asher is a big fan. He's saying, can you wish him a, uh, a happy birthday for turning 40? That's Rob Asher.
2: Well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. That would be a while ago
1: now. No, but he wants you to wish him a happy birthday for turning 40.
2: I oh, think. I see. Sorry. I was thinking you are wishing me a happy birthday. Um, yes, Happy birthday. Have a wonderful time. I should have pre I mean, warned you about that. being 40 is jolly fun. hm mm, yeah. I, might, I won't tell you what I was doing my 40th birthday, but it was very naughty.
1: Oh, well, please don't. Uh, there's been quite enough trouble. If you keep hearing big cuts and and, and skipping audio in this podcast, it's because I've taken the knife to it. And uh, let's see. And, oh, this is quite a nice one from Sam, who just says, Joe, what's your highlight of the season so far? What have you liked?
2: Uh, what do I like so far this season? Mm-hmm just think we've had a, uh, I mean, I've liked to see, I like to see excellence, okay? And I like the way in which the Red Bull works. I like the way in which Max Verstappen drives it. He's been quite unlucky, actually. People mm. are far too busy banging the drum saying Sergio Perez is a championship contender when clearly he's not.
1: Vamos, Checo, um, oh.
2: Oh. Yes, yes. Vamos, check is all very well. It gives you a bit of a buzz and all the rest of it. But the bottom line is that Max Verstappen's way ahead of him. So I like to see excellence and I've been, really enjoyed Max doing well. Um, I don't enjoy people not doing well because, you know, you kind of feel their pain. There are some people I don't particularly like, so feeling their pain is, you know, slightly enjoyable. But, um, you know, as a general rule, um, <laughs> I hate to see People suffering, if you like, you know we're we're in this game, not just to make money. We're in this game to race and to have fun, and you know I like to see people having fun. And when Max Verstappen wins a race, he might play it down and pretend that he's not overly happy, but he's delighted every time he wins a race. And every time he doesn't win a race, he's not so delighted. You know, so it's all it's just human beings, really. And that's sometimes forgotten in Formula One is that we are all human beings. We all have feeling. You know, all that sort of stuff.
1: Am I allowed to weep now? Now here's a, a long list of people who Joe would enjoy seeing suffering. No, we can't do that because we are out of time. Go and search for Joe Blogs F1. We'll put links to, to his stuff in our show notes as well. And keep an ear out because we will tell you when the next virtual audience with Joe Saywood will be. Joe, thank you so much for your time. Pack your brolly for Imola and thanks for joining us in the shed.
2: I'm taking gumboots as well because after last year's mud bath, gumboots are a good idea.
1: Join us at 8pm on Sunday as uh, we review the Imola Grand Prix live with Matt, me, Christian and Alex Van Jean. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. Are you successfully um,
2: controversial enough for
1: you? The, the last ever Mr. Apex Podcast. No, it's, do you know what? I was holding my breath a lot, Joe, but we got through it. I call that personal growth and progress. I'm very proud of you, Uncle Joe.
2: <laughs> well, we get through it every time. I, I try not to get into flights anymore. Sorry.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen.